everybody, Joel Tucker here with Cameron Brooks, and welcome to another episode of the uh, Cameron Brooks podcast, uh, Above and Beyond. Uh, in this podcast, I interview uh, Cameron Brooks alumnus, Tim Crownover. Uh, Tim made the transition um, from the Army as a military police officer to a company called All Risks in um, 2015. He started off as a, uh, as a broker with All Risks sales. Uh, essentially, and with all risk, they do insurance intermediaries. So they don't sell insurance. They work with companies to uh, that are in high risk industries uh, about their insurance needs, and then they go find insurance companies that will insure them and package an insurance product for them. He explains this all in detail uh, in the podcast. And what I really particularly like about this podcast is that. Tim talks about what it takes to be successful in sales and that you know, you're going to be declined 80% of the time and 20% of the time you're going to win. And you got to celebrate those wins and just because you've been declined 80% of the time doesn't make you a failure. Quite the contrary. Additionally, he talks about uh, what it's allowed him to be successful because today uh, Tim now leads a team of about uh, 25 people in uh, generating uh, quite a bit of revenue for the company. And he'll talk about that during the webcast. And also he shares a podcast that he listened to from uh, Tony Robbins uh, about why we do what we do. So I encourage you to listen to the podcast, uh, enjoy it, uh, learn from Tim. And, and, and when you get done, take some time and, and listen to the podcast on, from Tony Robbins' podcast uh, called Why We Do What We Do. Enjoy. All right, Tim, thank you for being on the podcast. Welcome to, to the show. And um, as you, if you just take a minute, introduce yourself and tell us what you do and who you work for. Absolutely. Um, it, it is my pleasure, Joel, to come back and, and talk to you and kind of talk about where things have gone. So uh, I work for all, a company called All Risks Limited. We are a wholesale brokerage firm. So, so what, that, what that essentially means is we act as, a, as an intermediary filter, as it were, between retail agencies and the ENS insurance marketplace, uh, placing high-risk commercial-based insurance. And within all risks, I kind of serve two functions. I, I, I manage the Tampa, our Tampa location, which is about 34 people. Uh, we produce about $25 million in revenues annually. And um, I also run my own production team, which has three producers and about six support staff. And, and within my production team, we also run the training pipeline for new producers coming in. So, so that's a snapshot of all risks and what I'm doing for all risks today. Well, see, I think I'm, I even need to get that in some layman terms. You said the word ENS. Did I kept capture that acronym right? What is that? So the ENS marketplace. So there's 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 two when you break down commercial insurance there's two there's two general buckets that it fall into you have admitted markets which admitted market is run of run of the mill low risk insurance where you're not likely to see a, a claim that's going to result in more than a few hundred dollars and then you have excess and surplus lines which is the ENS marketplace which is where which is where consumers will fit their risk that will that have the potential to end in million dollar or catastrophic losses. So, 
so the ENS marketplace exists um, to to fund those risks should they actually have to be paid out because admitted markets the low risk stuff they don't keep the the capital the cash on hand to be able to fund those risks so so because so, of because, yeah because of that pool of money because of how how high risk the um, because of the high risk that is associated with with the ENS marketplace, uh, there are you know, there are hundreds of thousands of retail shops. So a retail agency um, are the people, the agents who work directly with consumers, who are the business owners to place the risks. Because because of the nature of the risk, the the, the ENS marketplace, there's maybe 50 ENS marketplaces out there versus the hundreds of thousands of retailers. The ENS marketplace can't possibly filter all of the all of the, the flow of risk to to them from the consumer. So they appoint people, companies like All Risk, who learn their specific appetite because ENS markets uh, have their own appetite. Uh, they appoint people like All Risk to learn their appetite and then market for them and help them place deals. So that's essentially what All Risk does. We we make we 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 place deals. We act as a filter for that ENS market and get them the type of business they want, while also placing uh, coverage for for consumers. And when you say consumers, you mean commercial, though, right? You're talking about businesses. All commercial, absolutely right. Consumers, yeah. restaurant owners, hotel owners, real estate developers, contractors, things of that nature. Shopping malls, things it's, like that. It's all falling so who's, into the field. Are they buying from you the the product from you to insure them, and you're you're going out and getting financing people to to back this? Then how the flow works for us is is a retailer will come to me, and I'll use a hotel risk for an example. So a consumer goes to his his independent local retail insurance agent. That insurance agent will realize that it's an ENS risk, and he'll come to a wholesaler to access the ENS market, who is me. I will then assess the risk uh, and then go to my market, which we have tons and tons of different ENS carriers who all want different types of business. So in this case, I would I would go and start negotiations with an ENS marketplace, so an excess and surplus lines marketplace, who who is specifically targeting hotel risk. And then I will give them all the information they need, present them with the risk, and then give them the terms I need. So every every insurance policy has its ins and outs, deductibles, coverage triggers, things like that. I'll give them what I need. They'll put together a proposal. They then deliver it back to me. I package it. Um, the, generally speaking, the wholesaler who, who is all risk in this case is responsible for taxes and filing those taxes with the state, but that's something my my HQ handles. Um, I will package it, present it to the retailer, and then sit back. And then I, I'm not involved in the presentation to the actual consumer. Uh, the retailer will handle that. And when they get the order to bind, which is what we call essentially the billing, if someone says, hey, come and bind this, it means we're placing this business. Go ahead and send us the bill and then place the coverage. Uh, so the retailer comes back to me, says bind it. I take care of the ins and outs with the with the uh, ENS market. So we're not actually responsible for paying out any claims should they arise. We're just the middleman. So we handle the maintenance. And if, if something changes with the risk throughout the year, then we'll adjust the policy accordingly or, and, and be the subject matter experts on what what is actually there inside that policy. But 
we don't actually produce anything. We really just we really just work the relationships. Yeah, hence the use use the word broker and you're in the middle. So if I got this right to simplify it uh, for myself and our listeners, is you got you have a, have a business and let's say it's a hotel or a restaurant. You, we're calling them consumers, uh, but it's a business and they go to their um, their insurance company that's providing them business oriented insurance and they need um, an extraordinary or an excess and surplus line type of product that agency contacts you and says hey i've got this client that wants to do this this and this and you take all this information you go source it out there to companies that specialize in insurance products for ens you get it you package it get it back to the insurance rep and back out to the business that basically got it right that's right. That's, All right. That's, that's that's it in a nutshell. So it's crazy, right? I think that I think that there's going to be people listening to this episode, Tim, that's going to think like, "Wow, um, uh, how does a JMO fit with that? You don't you don't have any insurance license. You don't have any finance license. It's a sales. This is you know about risk, but this is a totally different other risk. Like, how does how does your do you have a finance background? I know what your background is, but for the listeners, like, how do you, how does a JMO, how do you fit into this role? You know, I, I have a criminal justice background, which has absolutely nothing to do with assessing risk or, or finance or any of that nature. Um, I was an infantry officer. So what, what this job is really about is, is taking a problem and finding a solution, which is something any JMO should be able to relate to and something any JMO does on a daily basis. And, and for me specifically, what the CEO, uh, Nick Cortese, is a privately owned company, what he told me the day that we interviewed with him was, was hey, guys, I, I'm growing fast. This company is, is growing organically, no acquisitions, 18 to 20% a year. He's like, I can teach anyone insurance. I cannot teach anyone leadership in the time frame that I need leaders. So that is how I ended up fitting into it. They wanted me for my leadership skills and they wanted me as a problem solver. It's something I face down every day in the military. Regard, and I think most JMOs can relate to this regardless of their MOS and, and what they're doing is we're presented with problems on a daily basis. We're presented with li- limited resources. Uh, no one's holding our hands to get things done, but we, we, we sit back, we assess the situation, we 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 work relationships and we go out there and we solve the problem and we do it as quickly and as efficiently as possible with as little back end as we could possibly have because you know that that ties back into the efficiency piece um and uh, you've uh you started out as a you know you came out in um, of the military in the spring of 2015 you've been there three years now uh you started off as a broker um, now and the assistant vice president in running a branch, as you mentioned, $25 million line of business annually that you're running, got your own production line, plus you're running a branch. What did, what did you do as a, like, what was your key or your top three things that you did in your two years, um, as a broker? I know you're still a broker, but to go from broker to, broker plus this AVP running a branch, what was it that you brought to the table 
that allow that your company put their finger on you and said, hey, we want you to run this uh, Tampa branch for us. Sure, absolutely. The first thing that first thing I did out of the gate before focusing on anything else, anything else was just you know every every profession has its basics, the fundamentals, and I poured my heart and soul into mastering the fundamentals. I looked at the most successful people, the most successful brokers specifically in the company, and I I picked their brains. I talked to them about what they were doing. I replicated their behavior, uh, not to the point of following blindly. Um, there's a certain amount of adaptation that comes along with it, catering it to my region, catering it to my client base, catering, you know, catering it to my, my offices, my office's culture. But, you know, I spent a lot of time mastering the basics in and out. Uh, and, and beyond that, I demonstrated massive action. I didn't, going into this, I didn't always have a perfect plan. I had a general direction, but 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 what I tried to do on a daily basis was whether it was the perfectly right thing or maybe just a little bit skewed, I demonstrated action, and then I would look at the results of that action and either continue or adjust and, and re-engage, and I did that every single day uh, without fail, and, and what I realized relatively quickly is the work ethic that I brought into the military was was unparalleled with what these guys and all risks were used to. So, so I, I, I demonstrated action, um, following mastering the basics and, and I produced results. I knew it's, it's absolutely really, really simple to, to gauge your level of success in this industry because everything you do, there's correlated activity that comes back. Um, so, um, in, in my role as a broker, I use, I'm essentially building my own book of business in the beginning. So, uh, the action is the marketing. I go out, I find clients, I prospect, I, I go out and I see them. I talk to them about what I'm doing. I talk to them about what they're doing, the results, the immediate result, and, and the, the, the key performance indicators there, you'll get submissions. And then if you're actioning those submissions, right you're going to get quotes. And if you're actioning those quotes, right, you're going to get binds, which is what puts the, which was what puts the, the, the money on, on the table for all risks, which is essentially why they hired me. And, well, one of the reasons they hired me is, is to produce, to serve as a producer. So I would say the top three things I did was mastering the basics, demonstrate action, and then adapt and produce results. That's really good that advice. Me, that got me to where that ended up getting me to where I am. I there was a lot of stuff I did not know going into running a branch. I'd never run a branch before. I'd never run a profit based organization before. But Steve Cass, who's my uh, my my senior vice president, the 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 man who went on a limb and put me in charge of Tampa, he recognized those three things and and. He, as a mentor and as a as a guy who's been doing this for 30 years, knew that he could he could help me through the stuff I didn't know. And based off just doing those three things and and leading by that example, that I'd be able to get the job done the way he wanted me to get it done in Tampa. And what would you say you what would be your your advice then to people in their first couple of years not to do? So those are the things that you did. What would you say like don't do this? Um, accept the fact that you do not know know everything, and accept the fact that that's okay. Be don't let do not let every failure. I think that was probably one of the hardest parts coming out for me is is in this job especially. I mean, a hit ratio for me 
is 20%. That means 80% of the time I'm failing. And that was really, really hard. So if I would say what not to do is do not let yourself be a failure just because you fail every day, because that's, it's just, it's just the nature of the beast. I feel like when it comes to sales. I think what you just mentioned there though, but it's, it's okay. And I think you get there. What I would summarize out of that is, what I hear a lot in these podcasts is don't lead with your ego. Don't lead with your ego. You don't need to know everything. They don't expect you to know everything. I think, it, I think, and I struggled with that even at Cameron Brooks, Tim, where um, uh, I think I've told this story in another podcast before. I got really defensive when I got kept getting like corrected or given feedback and um, just let my pride get in the way for one thing. Um, and by always needing to be right, to be um, uh, that I was doing really well all the time, I'm very protective of that. But because you've been successful in the military coming out and doing this and you want to shine. But I also think that there's a um, in the military that it's frowned upon to go to your boss and say, can you cl- can you clarify this again? I don't really understand what you mean here. Um, or I know we talked about this, but I don't, I don't get this. I want to do well, but I don't, don't completely understand how this is going to work. Like, I feel like I was bad at that. I was like, okay, I was just told to do this. I'm just going to go figure this out. And that's, there's a balance of that, but I also think the business world is different that your boss is busy, but your boss is probably more approachable than most military officers. I agree 100%. And that was exactly what I was trying to say. You just, you said it, you hit the nail right on the head. And, uh, and it's interesting coming in from the military because you get an opportunity. It's kind of, it's interesting because you get an opportunity to experience what an NCO experiences in, in the military. You're, I am the 32 year old who's coming in with all this military experience and I've done all this wild stuff with my life. And then there's a 25, 26 year old kid who never has left the state of Florida, but has been a phenomenal broker for the last five years, who I have to go to and, be, and, and say, hey, man, I need help. I don't know what this means. I don't know how to do this. You're obviously being very, very successful. And it'll be like, and, and I, I've seen JMOs run into this issue in, the, in in my organization, where that 25-year-old who's very successful will be like, you need, where you're doing this, and you really need to be doing this. And and then, like you said, they get a little bit defensive, and I was just as guilty as the next guy in the early years. And uh, and you're also right about the leaders being more approachable, and that could just be part of the organization that we grow up in. But absolutely, I've never, I don't have a, I've never, I haven't had a leader in this organization in all risks who who would ever hesitate to pick up the phone. I could call the president of the company right now and tell him that I don't know what he wants me to do in regards to you know, X and he would, he would sit down and take 15 minutes and explain it to me. And he would not make me feel bad about it. He'd tell me to come back and do it tomorrow if I needed it. And I'm comfortable uh, saying that there is absolutely zero judgment on his side of the fence for me taking, for me asking those questions and and taking that action to get the clarification. So you said it right on. I think, yeah, I I just, and I, and that's not a knock on anybody. I think it's, it's, I want people that are listening to this, to the culture, they go to business, go talk more often to your boss. I was just talking to one of our alum last week and 
um, maybe it was two weeks ago now, and um, he was having a hard time getting um, some feedback or something for his boss. He's asking his boss for him to give him approval to do something. And he said, I keep asking. He's like, yes, I got to get back to you on this. Yes, I got to do this. Yes, I got to do He said, I keep asking, keep not getting the, it's not happening. And I'm very frustrated and I don't know what to do about it. And I said, well, what, what do you, I said to the, to the, um, the former JMO, what do you want? He said, Joel, I want this to work. I want this relationship to work. And I like what I'm doing, but this part right now is frustrating me. And I said, well, what do you think your boss wants? It's kind of the long pause. I say, does your boss want you to quit? Does your boss want you to leave? I said, no, I mean, I'm getting good feedback that I'm doing well, that they're happy with me. Um, I said, so can we assume that your boss wants you to succeed and to stay? And like, yeah. So let's say this was like a friendship then instead of this boss employee relationship and you both wanted this friendship to work, what would you do? Well, gosh, I would go to my friend and say, listen, I'm having a problem with this. Have you done that with your boss? Have you gone and said, okay, I've asked four times for this. I keep kind of hearing this, 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 but it doesn't happen. Now I'm getting to the point where I'm feeling frustrated by this uncertainty and I want you to know this. I think your boss, once he hears this, this is what I said to him, once your boss hears this, and understands like now you're at the point of frustration, they're going to want to know that and they're probably going to finally take action. They're not blowing you off. They probably just got a million and one things on their plate and and they just keep forgetting. But that, that idea of I want this, my boss wants this, I need to go communicate to my boss what I want. I think it's very foreign to a military officer. You are right, and that is amazing advice. And if I would have heard that from you a year ago, it would have cut. It would have probably added four years of my life to my first year as a branch manager. Because my boss, he runs a branch just like I do. He runs a production team just like I do, and he also has five other offices reporting to him. And on top of that, he's got, you know, young Tim Crownover, who has been in insurance for two and a half years, running a branch for him, who is just full of questions. And and I, I, I don't remember what the specific instance was where we finally, we got to the point that you literally just described almost perfectly, where I shot an email and I was like, hey, you know, boss, I'm not particularly needy. I'm super disrespect. I'm super respectful. I try not to step on your toes, but I really need help on this. I really need an answer. And you've been dodging me for a week and a half. What can we do? And, and he reacted very much like you said, to expect them to react. You're like, I'm sorry. I've had this on my plate. I don't want you to feel that way. I always want you to come with me. I understand that's probably frustrating. I'm doing this, this, and this. I'll work to get better on my end. In the meantime, let's figure out what we can do to get you back on track and get the answers to your questions and how we can kind of prevent this bottleneck in the future because the things that I'm trying to do is they feed up into the organization. So they're inevitably working towards the goals that he has and the goals that he set for me. So it's very, very interesting that you say that and phenomenal advice for any transitioning officer to take in to their career early. And I, I wish I would have heard it a year ago. That's interesting. Well, I'm speaking to, to myself <laughs> as well. Um, the, uh, Let's go to, I think, an important topic. Uh, you make 100 sales calls. You didn't say this, but you alluded to this. You make 100 sales calls. You get declined 80% of the time. 20% is successful. This is one of the reasons why people have an aversion to sales. 
what would your advice be to somebody that's thinking about sales with that statistic? Is it as bad as, as people make it seem? Is it you just need to have this mental fortitude? Is it the 20% win is so awesome that it makes it worthwhile? Like, how do you, de- what would your advice be to somebody that, I guess, what would, what is it like? And what would your advice be to somebody that's got some great sales traits, but, you know, I don't want to get declined a bunch of times. I would, uh, my advice would to them would be to not take it personal. If you can remove the, the automatic assumption that you are doing something wrong from it, that it is inherent to you, you, you set yourself up for so much more success. So uh, I, I mentioned it earlier. I think it comes back to allowing yourself to fail without allowing yourself to be a failure. So every, every sale, whether it goes through or whether it doesn't, there, there are good, there's good and there's bad that goes along with it. I think the victory in the 80% that you do not succeed is identifying what went wrong and putting something in place to fix that for the next time. And then considering that a victory, because that is a victory, because if you can pinpoint one thing that you can do better next time and one thing that you messed up on this time, assuming that there is something and there almost always is, um, then that's one less thing you have to worry about screwing up in the future, which means you are one step closer or one, you know, one step closer to being that much better at your job. So I think it's all about in sales. I think it's all about finding the small victories and, and using that momentum to carry you forward and to, and to not, not getting frustrated. You know, if, if you're getting frustrated, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It means you actually care about what you're doing, but frustration uh, in a form of energy is flawed because you have all this energy and you're 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 focusing on something negative. Uh, I would suggest finding something positive to focus on. Okay, I failed because of this. The bright side is that I have all of these resources and all this help that are really really good at this. So now I can get better at this, and that's one less thing that they can catch me on next time. And I'm that much closer to being better than the competition, uh, and that that one step closer to binding that next deal. Uh, this one thing that's not going to stop me again. So that would be my yeah, advice to those, those are the guys going out in the sales organizations. Just don't take it personal and, and find the victories. Find the victories and the failures and, and use them to make yourself better. And there's a lot of pride that yes. goes along with that. There's a lot of what? Say that again? There's a lot of pride that can be found in that. And, you know, it's like the old saying, to fail forward. It's not a matter if you fail. It's what you do next that counts. Absolutely right. One of the one of some of the best advice that I still talk to one of my old commanders. He's a he's a Delta Force guy. He's really really into he he reads a lot fiction, rig, fiction, nonfiction, self help. But one of some of the best advice I've ever received, and it was from him. And he was like, well, Tim, what's the most important step in any situation? And uh, I fumbled through the answer, and 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 what he ended up telling me was the most important step is always the next one. Regardless of what it is, it's the most important step is always the next one. Keep moving forward. Keep not necessarily even moving forward. It might be a step back, but you have to be doing something. Don't don't let yourself get stagnant. Don't let yourself get stale. Take action um, and then re-engage. It was it was phenomenal advice. It's always kind of stuck with me. That's that's really good. Well, you just took the. I always I like to end the podcast with two questions. What's the best advice you ever received? So you beat me the punch. You must have listened to a bunch of podcasts before. No, knew we were going there. And uh, so another question I have is, 
a book that has that you've read. Uh, it could be fiction, nonfiction, biography. That, or if it's not a book, maybe something that you've done from a developmental st- standpoint that you would say, "Hey, this has been impactful for me." Um, from a developmental standpoint, the thing that's been the most impactful to me since I started this career specifically, I, I did it back when I went through the AR. Where I, the, the company has this uh, school called the All Risks University. They put all, all new producers through it, but it's a Tony Robbins podcast called Why People Do the Things They Do, and he talks about he talks about the five basic human needs and. And that has been so impactful to me throughout my career, especially as a as a guy who's working in sales, who you deal with all different types of personalities and all different types of situations. And and then from a leadership standpoint where you're working through people that are having great days and you're working with people that are having bad days. And sometimes people will come at you with frustration or happiness or sadness. I think I was able to take that podcast and, and what he talks about, whether you believe it or not, it worked for me. And so far it's almost always right. And it really, it helped me to detach myself from their actions and not take anything personal. Instead of, instead of being like, um, you know, a great example. Uh, I was, I, this last Saturday, this last Saturday, I was, I, me and my fiance were, we, we had gone out to top golf and then we were on our way to get lunch. And, and there was a, we were in downtown Tampa and there was, there was a marathon that had just finished. So the streets were absolute madness and there was a police officer standing out there and I was sitting in the middle lane, getting ready to turn into this garage and it was kind of backed up a little bit. And uh, she's like, Hey, I can't have you. I can't have you sitting here. You're blocking up traffic. I need you to drive on. And I'm inside. I'm thinking I'm going to have to drive six blocks to get back to this parking garage to get in here. And I see that the line is moving. So I'm saying, well, man, that, that car is now moving, so I'm going to be able to get in. And she looked at me, and she was like, oh, excuse me, I'm Officer blank blank of the Tampa Bay Police Department. In, insert, you know, specific language here and there. And, and it riled me up so fast. And, I, and I, it, I, it, I almost let it ruin the next hour of my life. And, and then I came back to the basics of human the basics basics of human needs and I really dissected why she did what she did and put myself in her shoes and and okay so she's a police officer I guarantee you she didn't sign up to to divert traffic all day long that's not what she that's not what she signed up to be a police officer for she's probably been standing on that road for the last six hours that burning cars I'm probably the 70th person who's told her I didn't want to do something she's telling me to do and she's had to be nice to every single one of them uh so so it, it, I, I, it enabled me to kind of sit back and not take things personal. So that's like a real world example that I'm able to apply to business and what I'm doing in all risks every single day. So that, um, that, yeah, that's, I, and I apply it. And then this is just, I kind of went off tangent there as far as not necessarily applying it to my business experiences, but that's one of the things I love about it so much is it's, it's a 25 minute head talk that it was one of the first, it was one of the first 10 TED Talks. It's still one of the top 10 most watched TED Talks. And it just applies to every facet of my life and day-to-day operations, whether I'm working with my boss, whether I'm working with my binding team, whether I'm working with my new hires, whether I'm working with carers, whether I'm working with uh, my clients. I, I, there, there are five things to why people do the things they do that if I sit back and apply those lessons, 
really helps me dissect the situation and it really helps me identify what I need to do. Um, I heard mm. something once and it, it said, it, I can't remember where I heard it, but I, it stuck with me regardless. And it says, every human is a puzzle of need. If you can identify that need and help them serve that need, then they're going to do whatever you need them to do. So I, I apply that to helping people find their needs and that's the quickest way and most efficient way to get people to partner with you or follow with you or bind with you or join on your team or just go on, live a better, happier life for themselves. Well, I just, you know, there's a, there's a Ted talk and he's got his podcast on and I'll put the, put both of those into the, in the, into the link, um, into the, for the, for the, uh, for the link to the podcast and our blog and, and, uh, Tim, uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to spend, uh, sharing with us your, your story, your tips. I just love doing these because I learned so much from, from our alum that are doing great things out there. Congratulations to you on your success and you're engaged now. Congratulations there as well. And, uh, thank you again for all your support for Cameron Brooks. Absolutely, Joel. You guys did a lot for me, so it's great to get back and uh, talk to you and catch up and kind of share for the, for the future transitioning officers out there. I know it's a lot. All right, so I hope you enjoyed the, the podcast with uh, Tim. Uh, as I mentioned, um, take some time. I encourage you to, to go to the Tony Robbins podcast and listen to the podcast he talked about uh, during our interview with Tim. Um, the other thing that I recommend is uh, doing a little research on sales. Uh, he didn't mention this specifically, uh, but there's a great book called To Sell is Human uh, by Daniel Pink. And he talks about this being turned down, being told no, and being buoyant during that. Of course, uh, I encourage you to read PCS to Corporate America, the fourth edition, uh, our book. If you haven't already done so, if you're thinking about the transition, uh, visit our website. And um, uh, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Until next time.